0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Well, I would say turn in your Bibles to Revelation 5, but we discovered in the first service that what I had forgotten, I prepared this sermon for a church that reads from the ESV, that didn't occur to us until <laughs> I wondered why I had put all of the references in my manuscript and not wasn't going to read from the from my copy of the Bible. And I thought, why is that? Why would I have done that? And then it, we we discovered. So we've scrambled and the seem the with the ESV right. So the best the best way to resolve it was to just go with the ESV which will be on the screen for you. If you have an ESV, you can turn to Revelation chapter five. We're gonna read five passages from Revelation to get a sense of a big picture theme. Jonathan Edwards once preached a sermon to his Massachusetts congregation called Heaven, a World of Love. I commend that sermon to you. It is just so wonderful. And in that sermon, he teaches that um, heaven is a world that is ruled and um, marked by love. It's what makes that world what it is. It's just consumed with love. And since that is true, all we should very much desire to be citizens of that kingdom someday. And we should testify here and now by our love for one another that we have a place there. And that if we don't practice love here, we have no business in God's kingdom. That's how much love rules there. It's a wonderful, glorious sermon. I'm going to kind of riff on that same logic this morning, but with a different emphasis. We're going to look at the place and the purpose of singing in the heavenly kingdom. This is what I was invited by Matt to, to, uh, to preach on up there. The place and the purpose of singing in the heavenly kingdom. There's much about the new heavens and the new earth that has not been revealed to us in scripture. It says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind imagined the wonderful, glorious things that God has prepared for those who love him. Nevertheless, it's also true that where things are revealed They belong to us and to our children forever. We have an obligation to know what God has taught and he has revealed and taught us things about heaven. We have an obligation to to know them, to study them, and to make a godly use of that knowledge. So this morning we're going to look at what God has revealed about singing, the place of it in his heavenly land. We want to do three things. We're going to first establish that heaven is is a world of song, by looking at how prominently singing features in descriptions of heaven. And then second, we're going to consider why heaven would be described to us as a world of song. And then lastly, what that does for us. What advantage or benefit is that to us today? What responsibilities do we have because of it? So first of all, heaven is a world of song. The primary descriptions we have of heaven are found in the book of Revelation, and we're going to read five passages from Revelation together. The first one is Revelation five: six to 14. This is God's word, and it is eternally true. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns. And with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Is anybody missing from that scene? It's a comprehensive view of of what all creatures who have access to the throne of God do. Do. They sing and they praise him. Scripture, we're going to deal with quickly though before we go, move on. A possible objection that might occur to some of you as we read, who pay careful attention to words. Sometimes as we read it says, not that they sang, but that they said. And if my argument is heaven is a world of song and, I, and you see them saying things but not singing them, you might object to what, the argument I'm making. Well, scripture often, commonly, refers to singing under the terms of saying and said. A good example of this we find in the account of Jesus' birth in Luke. When Mary um, is visiting Elizabeth and they're rejoicing together in the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel and in his choice of Mary in particular as the mother of the Lord, she responds with this wonderful poem, which the church has understood was a song and has sung since that time, and it, but it's prefaced with the words that now that Mary, it says Mary said. That's how it's prefaced. Now, the song itself is so much just quotations from the book of Psalms, which we know are sung that this is an evidence that in fact Mary sang a song or intended the words to be sung as a song. Scripture often uses the word said or saying to indicate a song. And the Psalms themselves give evidence that this is so. The preface to David's glorious um, tribute to God working in him as as the king, Psalm 18, which we've set as as a band, My Soul Among Lions, The preface to that I read on the album. You might be familiar with it. It it goes something like this. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, and he said. This is just common, the way scripture introduces a song. And then also the, the passage we just read starts up at the top and it says, There was a song and then later on it says, they said and were saying as a way of continuing um, that moment. So whenever we see a poetic utterance in scripture that the translators have determined, oh, this is poetry, and it's prefaced with said or saying, it very well and often does indicate a song. Let's move on. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Now Revelation chapter 14, verses one to five or one to three. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Revelation 15, 1-4. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty, Just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And then finally, Revelation 19, 1-6. After this... I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, or crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." To the best of my study and reading of the book of Revelation, this is the sum total of the activity of the glorified saints in heaven. When we look into scripture to see what people do in God's kingdom, this is what they do. They stand around his throne and they glorify and praise and sing to the Lord. Now are we to conclude from this That this is all we will do in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't think so. I think that there will be cultivation, learning, study, adventure, great things, work in heaven. It won't be under the curse, which will be certainly very, very nice. There'll be no limit to what we can accomplish, what we can enjoy. I believe that we'll cook. I believe that we'll play games. I think that we'll have dinner parties and we'll host the Lord perhaps. But nonetheless, in scripture, when we look to see what the saints do all that we're, the bulk of what we're, what's revealed to us is we see people singing. This is what they do. So one way or another, we have to deal with that. Why would scripture describe the heavenly world as a world of song? It describes it that way for this simple reason. Heaven is described as a world of unceasing song to reinforce the fact in our minds that heaven is a world of unending joy. There's a beautiful summation of the joys that await the saints in heaven that's found in Revelation 7. I'll remind you of what should be very dear to all of us. Revelation 7, verse 13 says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Those saints in heaven are those delivered out of the great tribulation of this life, washed in the blood of the lamb, safe in the everlasting arms of the Lord, protected and overshadowed by him from every harm and every evil, drinking of the river of God's delights, ever in the presence of the Lord, in whose presence is fullness of joy, Psalm 16, and pleasures forever. And in that eternal and happy and blessed condition, they will not be able to stop singing about it. Why? Because there is this Inescapable, inseparable connection between joy and song. It's just how God made us. We respond to what we find to be glorious and wonderful and pleasurable and awesome and powerful by singing about it. We see this in our own experience, we see it in nature. We see it also in scripture. Scripture makes this connection in the book of James. In James chapter five, it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. There's a connection, even in scripture, between what we find joyful and the singing of praise. Song is the natural God-intended overflow of a merry and a satisfied heart both in this world and in the world to come, especially in the world to come. And once a glorified soul is set free from the bondage of this death and free to experience the pleasures and the joys and the delights of heaven, it will respond naturally, inescapably with song. And the principal joy and delight of heaven is, of course, the Lord. Adam, our first father, discovered this instinct of song in himself in the garden. There was not a helper found suitable for him among the animals. And so God put Adam to sleep and took a rib out of his side and for- formed from the rib a woman. And he came and presented the woman to the man. And we have. In that encounter, the first poem, the first song in history, Adam responds saying or singing these words, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Ever since that time, song has functioned among us, as the principal mode by which we respond to glorious and wonderful and amazing, mysterious things. But there's more to song even than that. Not only is it our God-given instinctual response to glorious things, it's also the means of increasing our delight and our wonder and our joy in them. It also feeds and gives pleasure as we respond to what is pleasurable, Here's what John Calvin taught his people in Geneva concerning the purpose of music. He wrote this in the preface to the, the songbook of the city of Geneva, the Genevan Psalter. He wrote this. Now, among the things which are proper for recreating man and giving him pleasure, music is either the first or one of the principle. And it is necessary for us to think that it is a gift of God deputed Designated or given for that use. A gift of God for recreating man and giving him pleasure. So it's not only a way of expressing pleasure, it's also a way of getting pleasure. And that's why it's possible for the blues to work as a genre. The blues is just a placeholder for singing about troubles. But in singing about troubles, we're actually rising through music and through song above the troubles. This is a testament to the power of music. This this mediating, cathartic, helpful, soothing power of music. Music in its pleasure-giving capacity can make difficulties easier to bear. That's why many of us turn on Spotify when we do the chores or we sit down to work at our computers for the day, put in the earbuds and, you know, work's work. Work's usually not very fun. A lot, of it, a lot of times it's just plain work. And music can help us get through that work, help us whistle a tune, tap our foot. The guys were working over in Max's barn yesterday building a little studio space for the band. If you didn't know about that, it's pretty exciting. That's Nathaniel and Gabriel principally were over there working all day and they had tunes playing. This is what we do to help difficult work go by faster and be easier. Now if that's true in a world in which we're surrounded by so many weaknesses and troubles and trials and difficulties, if that's true here and now, what will music do in the heavenly world when we're surrounded only by joys and pleasures and delights. We'll, we'll respond to the, what is pleasurable by singing and the singing itself will increase our joy and our pleasure. Isn't that wonderful? What a gift from God to us to look forward to. The saints will sing in heaven because they are so filled with joy and they will sing in heaven to get more of it. Now we need to consider that on the flip side, there will be no singing in hell. In no description that we have of that place do we find any indication of singing, but rather this, what Jesus taught twice in Matthew 13, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place of unmitigated suffering. Music now partly serves to make what is difficult easier to bear, but there it will not be afforded its occupants. Lazarus, you remember Lazarus and the rich man? The rich man got to heaven, or the, Lazarus got to heaven. The rich man got to hell, and he was able to see across the divide, and he saw Lazarus comfortable and safe and blessed in Abraham's bosom, And he was so tormented, he asked for just a a touch of water on his tongue. It was denied. So surely music, in its helpful, comforting capacity, will also be denied. No whistling a tune there. No Spotify to help. Hell is a place of unceasing torment. Completely lacking in relief, including the relief of song. Now this knowledge should trouble us. It should trouble us about our own soul. It should trouble us about the souls of many people that we know. This is what we deserve and it's where we all are all headed, apart from the mercy and the grace of God, available to all in the gospel. Have you closed with the Lord today? And do you have a world of song or a world of torment to look forward to? Is The most critical question that you will ever face and that, that the people around you will ever face. Do you love the people around you? First of all, do you love your own soul? Do you love your own pleasures? True pleasure comes from knowing God and finding a place in his kingdom and someday being freed from all the burden and the effects of sin, set free to enjoy forever the, the delights of his kingdom and of him. Have you sought that by faith in his son? That's how it's available by repentance and faith. And the, the land is freely yours if you will believe. And there's many people around you, though, who do not believe. This should help you, on some level, get inspired again to love them and to preach to them the gospel, appeal to them. Heaven is a world of song and hell is a world without it. Since heaven is a world of song, everybody who has a hope of heaven should be a singer. This life is an anteroom to heaven. This is the prep period, just the beginning, the short beginning to a long eternity. We are to live our lives here in this world in such a way as to be ready for the next one. John Donne, a wonderful English poet who spent a lot of his life suffering, and so his poetry is helpful because he contemplates the important things, life and death, and the meaning of it all. And I commend his poetry to you. It can be very dense, but man, does it, it pays off. It's wonderful. And here's a little stanza from a poem called, Hymn to God, My God in My Sickness. Since I am coming to that holy room where with thy choir of saints forevermore I shall be made thy music. As I come, I tune the instrument here at the door. And what I must do then, think here before. Since I must come to that holy room where with thy choir of saints forevermore I shall be made thy music. As I come, I tune the instrument here at the door, and what I must do then, think here before. Are you tuning your instrument here at the door? Do you sing the Lord's praises on the Lord's day? That's the first question. When it's easiest, when you have the most encouragement to do so, do you sing when you come into the Lord's house? Everybody who has a hope of heaven should be a singer. Now you may say, I'm not much of a singer. Other people have good voices that nobody wants to hear me sing. I can't carry a tune. I have a monotone. I have a lousy ear, I'm not a singer, surely you don't mean me. Well, if that's you, another old man, and there's a lot of old people in this sermon that I'm going to reference, so here's another one. William Law, he wrote a book, an important book called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life, and in a chapter on music and singing, he says this, you will perhaps say that singing is a particular talent that belongs only to particular people, and that you have neither voice nor ear to make any music. If you had said that, if you had said that singing is a general talent, rather, and that people differ in that as they do in other things, you had said something much truer. Everyone at some time or other finds himself able to sing in some degree. There are some times and occasions of joy, birthday parties, that make all people ready to express their sense of it in some sort of harmony, the joy that they feel forces them to let their voice have a part in it. Very perceptive and very true. Have you ever heard the saying that no man is a hypocrite in his pleasures? If You, if you, locate, you can locate the pleasure in your life by where the song is or where most often the song is in your life. It's a good indicator of where your heart is. Where the heart is, there will the voice be also. It's what he's arguing. Zeal and joy and vigor in worship is a given. Zeal and joy and vigor in worship is a given. The only question is where is the worship or what is the object of your worship? No man is a hypocrite in his pleasures. Your joy and your zeal is somewhere and is attached to something because you can't escape but glory in great things. The only question is, is do you have the right great thing in your life? That's the question. Is the Lord the source of your joy, the source of your wonder and amazement? If so, you will sink. Listen to this. William Law goes on and he turns the knife blade even harder in us. He says, imagine to yourself that you had been with Moses when he was led through the Red Sea and that you had seen the waters divide themselves and stand up on a heap on both sides that you had seen them held up till you had passed through and then let fall upon your enemies. Do you think that you should have Wanted or lacked a voice or an ear to have sung with Moses, the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. No way. (laughs) No way. I know, says William Law, your own heart tells you that all people must have been singers upon such an occasion. Where your treasure is, there your voice is also. May God increase our joy in him so that we're set free to lift our voices in loud praise to him. Here and all places. And don't forget, singing is a gift of God to increase your joy. So if you come like I often come to worship and you're not just immediately, you know, filled and ready to go and the pump is primed sometimes it feels like oh man I don't want to sing today or I don't want to sing that song or I'm just not feeling it that's you trust God's good gift of music to help you just open your mouth and faith sing and and allow God to work in you through the act of singing to in, to quicken your spirit and warm your heart towards him. Others might say, not that I lack a voice, but that singing's for sissies. Singing's for wimps. It's not really for me. I'm a man. I'm not, not just a man. I'm a man. Oh, is singing really for Sissies. Consider the King David. King David, as a young boy, killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. He walked right down into the field of battle and took on a giant that terrified all of the armies of Israel. He cut that giant's head off with the giant's sword. People praised him, saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands, are you listening, young men? David was also called the sweet psalmist of Israel in, in 2 Samuel, close to his death. That was what they, That's how they referred to him, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He, he wrote the bulk of the book of Psalms. He played the harp. Now, I have it on good authority that some of you young men need a a rebuke, an, an exhortation of sorts. Give yourself to studying music. It is not a waste. It is not an unmanly thing to do. The church needs you. Your own heart will be greatly helped by the aid and appreciation of music, if you don't idolize it. This is the trouble with all powerful and beautiful things is they can quickly become an idol. God gave it as a tool to be used for our good and our blessing, but we have to be wise as we use the tool. But young men, consider whether God wouldn't have you become a musician, which is not something that happens overnight, and it takes real work but the payoff is huge you can be a blessing to your family, to yourself to many people, to the church of God through the gift of music which is not just a, not a gift that just you know it takes wisdom and skill to wield and to use for the benefit of others so young boys studying piano and not liking it Press on. Lean in. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. It means it's won violently, by violence. And, and violent men take it by force. Men, we must fight our way into the kingdom of God. And Psalm 149 makes a connection between that fight and music with these words. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hands. Aaron Jones, after the first sermon, was reminding me of Jehoshaphat, under the rule of Jehoshaphat. They, They went out to battle and they put the singers in front to inspire and lead the troops with the praises of God into triumph. More of us need to grow up to be singers, which was to say, warriors for the Lord. It's a great tool in the arsenal of a warrior to be able to sing, to be able to play, to be able to lead others to do so. So man up, boys. Pick up a guitar, obey your parents, and learn to play the piano, for goodness sake. Are you happy, Aaron? (laughs) What kind of singers ought we to be? All the passages of those that we read from Revelation speak with one voice about the type of singer we should be. All of the Psalms do the same. Loud, very loud singers. That is the the singing that most pleases God. And if you think you don't have an ear for this, again, consider this anecdote George Ives, the father of American composer Charles Ives. Anybody heard of Charles Ives, composer? George, his father, was a very eccentric man, musically, and he made a very eccentric son musically. But this is a wonderful account of what George said in defense of the stonemason uh, what was his name? John Bell. He was defending John Bell's singing to a fellow church member who had been complaining about how raucous and out of tune it was. And he said, oh, don't pay too much attention to the sounds. If you do, you may miss the music. You won't get a heroic ride to heaven on pretty little sounds. And that's the truth. You just sing. God is glorified by it. And fathers, here's a special word to you. Your children are watching you closely and they are learning how to praise God. And from some of you, they're learning well and some of you, not so well. They will only, apart from extraordinary circumstances, rise as high as you do. They will learn from you how to praise the Lord. So set a good example. Humble yourself and be a good dad in worship and teach them how to obey scripture by belting God's praises. You won't get to heaven. You won't have a heroic ride to heaven with pretty little sounds. You demonstrate how it's done for them. Finally, what should we sing? This could take up a lot of time. (laughs) What should we sing? Well, Obviously, obviously, the songs of Zion. The song of the Lamb, the song of Moses, biblical stuff, the book of Psalms. Am I saying that all of our time should only and ever be taken up with religious music? No, that's not even scriptural. Adam, remember, sang about love, about his woman. There is room for singing about love and many things. But our principal joy should be the Lord and so our principal song should be the songs of Zion. Okay? Young people, this is a real temptation for you. Music is very powerful. I heard this growing up and I didn't want to listen to it. It was obnoxious to me to hear that that riff. But music is very powerful It's a wonderful gift of God that each of us, as we grow up to be self-governed, mature people, have to learn how to be responsible for. And Alex McNeely was teaching in the Sunday school class about the days of Ezra and how God had commanded the people not to intermarry with unbelievers because their hearts would inevitably inevitably be led astray into idolatry. And it happened over and over again in spite of God's warnings to them. That's exactly what happened every time they intermarried with other people. Very similar situation with the powerful tool, gift of music. It can be used for great good and good influence in your life, and it can be used for evil and evil influence in your life and can lead you into idolatry and sin. There's a place for all kinds of music. Music's a great gift, and it's a general gift part of the rain that falls on the just and the unjust. But as redeemed believers, cleansed with the blood of the lamb, we have an obligation above all people to use music wisely and to not let it influence us for evil. There should be songs that you turn off. We'll just leave it at that. There should be songs that you choose to turn off because you know it's evil and it's bad for you. There should be times when you are brave enough to say, Could we turn that off, please? I do not appreciate the message of that song. One of the reasons we are setting ourselves to the project of learning to sing the Psalms is because of these passages in Revelation. Because in them we see the themes sung before God of his, not just of his power and his glory and of his kingly reign, but what that means in terms of his enemies. We see his judgments magnified and we see his people rejoicing in them. We see his people rejoicing in the downfall and destruction of the great harlot of Satan and all of his children. Their enemies. Their blood being avenged upon them. And the Psalms, that's, the, that's, the, that's one of the main themes of the heavenly song, and the Psalms help prepare our hearts for that world. Yes, heaven's a world of love, love for God above all things, and our hearts then will understand in ways that we can't even understand now how just his judgments are, so much so that when we see the smoke going up forever and ever, we will be, will be filled with joy at the sight of it. And to prepare ourselves for that, we need to learn here and now what it is to sing about God's enemies and to call upon Him to to bring about justice in this world through their demise. That's what the Psalms. One of the great things the Psalms teach, and is difficult for us, but it's Scripture, and it's heaven. And I, I want to say, like Jonathan Edwards says, if you don't like heaven, it's not your place. If that's not your kind of place, then you're not going there. When we look and we see what the themes of the heavenly world are in song, we need to right now start learning to sing them and appreciate them. Because it is to learn, not, it is to learn what God loves, to love what God loves, and to hate what God hates. That's what you, the Psalms teach in a nutshell. I was talking about contemporary Christian music in the first service and it occurred to me as I was talking about it, one of the main failures of contemporary Christian music can be summarized this way. It does a pretty decent job at loving what God loves. I mean, I could give it a pass on that. It does an absolute horrible job of mentioning anything that God hates. It's like it's not even a category in Nashville or in Australia or wherever they write these songs. But there is a category in the Psalms and it's a category very much in heaven. And so we are going to continue to learn under the ministry of the Psalms how to love what God loves and hate what God hates and to embody that in our praise, which is a really potent way to have to hit those themes in scripture. When, you have to, when you're forced to actually sing them and own them for yourself. Heaven is a world of song. Heaven is a world of song because it's a world of joy and it, it's a way in which we will sing in heaven because it's so joyful to be there and we will sing in heaven to get more joyful. And all who have a hope of heaven Right now, today, here at the door, need to tune their instrument so that they are fit for that day, the marriage of the Lamb, when we sing and we dance.